0: Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in.
1: All right, good morning. Maybe you're familiar with this. I don't know if you've... uh... Did this in school or not, but uh, I'm going to read for you. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domi- domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our descendants. And we do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Hey, Amen. Let's take the offering out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh... In this document, we have this phrase, we the people, and it's really the we the people of the United States. We're starting a new series, and I'm excited to talk about we the people of God. And what I'm excited about is to see what our constitution is, if you will, what it is we're going to be committed to and dedicated for. Uh, The purpose of our series is really to answer the question of why, because I think that much of life is about the why. It's why do we do what we do? Uh, What is it that drives us? What gets us out of bed? What gets us going? It's the why. So we're going to talk about why, as a church, do we do what we do? Why, uh, as Sunrise, does Sunrise do what we do? Uh, we're going to talk about next steps in the fall. So I'm excited uh, for each of you to be a part of this. I'm excited for those who are joining us online. Welcome to those of you online. Uh, welcome, again, to everybody who's in the room. Uh, we are going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in uh, Chapter 17. So if you have a Bible or a device or a, I don't know how else you would access the Bible, your memory, maybe you memorized it, Um We're going to be in John chapter 17. John's gospel was written by the guy named for the gospel, which is John. Uh, He was a guy who hung out with Jesus for three years. He's a guy who was there in the experience, firsthand knowledge, uh, a witness, uh, the best kind of witness for any courtroom. And he wrote this gospel, he tells us, at the end of the gospel uh, so that we would believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that in believing we would have life in his name. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to have life. And as a matter of fact, Paul would later call it the life that is really life. Because there's a life that's promised in our world, and there's a life that many of us grow up in, even in this great nation of the United States of America. Uh, and, they, and some of us have not experienced the great side of the United States of America. I acknowledge that, and some of us have. Uh, but the reality is, as, as great as that experiment of America has been, uh, and, and as nations go, it's at the top of the list. You know, everybody's got issues. And so we're excited about what's happened there. But it's still not the life that is really life. And the American dream... In my humble opinion, is a bill of goods that we've been selling for a long time that is not, it's actually the best the world has to offer. Uh, but I hope you know today and I hope you can rejoice in the fact that there is better than the best that the world has to offer. And that better comes through Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to talk about. I'm not trying to be down on our country or any other nation. We're just saying that we believe there's a better way. And I think that better way came in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And in John 17, to set the stage, just to give you some context of what's happening here, is John is meeting with his disciples at the end of the close of his public ministry. And John records for us a lot of stuff that went on with the disciples. Some of it before they got to an upper room, some of it in an upper room. But basically at the close of Jesus' public ministry, he says, I'm done meeting in the public. I'm done showing up there. We're going to spend some time. We're going to reel it in. We're going to talk to the disciples and myself, and we're going to talk. And, and there are lots of things that got discussed in there. He, he, it actually started in John chapter 13. We're going to be in 17, but 13, 14, 15, 16 is all of Jesus' time with his disciples. And it starts with him washing their feet. Washing their nasty, dirty, stanky feet. <laughs> and some of you, that's a greater blessing than others, right? If that were to happen to you, imagine if you came in and there was a chair there, and when you came in, they gave you your bullets or your program, they gave you your communion elements, and they said, go ahead and have a seat. And one of the staff elders or leaders came around, took your shoes off, washed your feet, dried your feet, put your shoes back on and said, now go enjoy the service. Pretty credible, right? And you're like, wait, what is going on? The same thing happened with Jesus. I mean, in fact, one of his disciples was like, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy to have you wash my feet. And he said, if, you don't wa- if I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part of my kingdom. And he's like, then wash it all, man. I'm all in. <laughs> uh, because he was so blown away that Jesus would do this. Jesus would later even talk about the Holy Spirit and the fact that God was going to send his presence in a, literally to dwell within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Credible Incredible promise. Uh, He also enjoyed his last meal that he would have before he was arrested and falsely tried and then crucified and buried. His last meal with his friends, if you will. Uh, At that meal, he went through an instruction that we'll share later when Pastor Carlo comes back up. But the point is, is that lots of good stuff happened. But in the midst of this discussion, there were also some tough statements that were said uh, by Jesus. Actually, maybe you can uh, relate to any of these. But here's some things that Jesus said during that last meal. Uh, He said, one of you will betray me. Okay, Jesus. Peter, in fact, you'll deny me three times. Not once or twice, but three times. He said, I'm leaving. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. In fact, I'm leaving, but you can't come where I'm going. And while I'm gone, you can do nothing apart from me. This is a really, like, inspiring speech Jesus was giving them. Don't, uh, the world, he said, will hate you. But don't be surprised because it hated me before it hated you. In fact, he says, you will all desert me and leave me alone at my darkest hour. You will have suffering in this world. How about about that for a Sunday message? (laughs) You will be outcasts even in religious circles. In fact, some will kill you in the name of God. And finally, again, he actually said this a few times, I'm leaving. Now in the midst of all of that, as he's sharing, you can imagine the response of these disciples as they're listening. And they thought they were gearing up for him to begin the kingdom of God. In their mind and expectation, what they thought that Jesus was going to do, which he still is, he just wasn't doing it then, is he was going to establish an earthly kingdom. He was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to establish an earthly kingdom, and they would be front and center in the new kingdom of God moving forward. This, a better kingdom, but in the, in the same way that King David and King Solomon ruled, now Jesus would rule on earth, and they would be right there. And now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me, and you can't do anything apart from me. What do you imagine they were thinking? I'm sure they were filled with questions. I'm sure they wanted to ask him a bunch of stuff. But then Jesus did this, pulled a good church move when things get tense. He said, let's pray. And he begins to pray. And in John 17, we have recorded the Lord's Prayer. I know you thought it was said in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, but, but it was, it's actually this. This is actually the prayer that Jesus prays. At the end of his life, knowing that he's about to be arrested, knowing what he's about to go through, he prays this. He says in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all people. So he starts by acknowledging that his time has come to accomplish the purpose that God has sent him for. What is The purpose. He says at the end of verse two, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Jesus' purpose was to give eternal life, to seek and to save that which was lost, those who were lost. He, he, his whole purpose was to come and do what had to be done so that the people that God had chosen, the Father had chosen, and given to the Son, that they would have an opportunity to be saved, to be able to have eternal life. Verse 4, he says, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. There's a good tip. If you ever want to know how to glorify God best, then do the work that he called you to do. He said to verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words, restore me back to where I was before I started this thing. Because Jesus, in case you didn't know, uh, did not come into existence in a manger, he existed before that. And he came to earth and, in, a, in a bodily form, again, for a purpose. So he's eternal. The Father is eternal. Verse 6, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed That you sent me. In other words, I've done what you've asked me to do. I've taken the people that you told me to take, and I've taught them and walked with them and did life with them, and now they know that I come from you, Father God. They know that I'm not some crack, uh, crazy preacher. They know I'm not a lunatic. They know I'm not uh, a false prophet. They know that I'm genuine and authentic and from you because I did what you asked me to do. Verse 9, he says, I pray for them. So he shifts from really praying for himself and with the Father to praying for them, disciples around hearing this, listening. He says, I pray for them. Verse 11, protect them by your name that you you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. So he says, I'm praying that they would have unity, that they would be together uh, that in the same way uh, that the Father and Jesus were one, one in purpose, one in alignment, one in racial, I'm sorry, relational connection, racial connection, I don't know, relational connection. That they, 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 they would be able to have the same kind of unity that Jesus and the Father would have. And then in verse 13, he even tells God, now I'm coming to you. In other words, I'm leaving. I'm coming to you, God. I have given them your word. I am not praying that you take them out of the world. This is so key, but that you protect them from the evil one. Notice, Jesus does not pray that they would have a life easier. He doesn't pray that, that, that God would remove them from any trouble or any, in fact, he said you're going to have trouble in this world. Any danger to their life? Oh, yeah, people are going to try to kill you. He didn't try to take them out of any of that. He said, protect them from the evil one. I want them to be in the world, but not of the world, he says. Verse 16, they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I want them in the world, but not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. That word sanctify me, set them apart. By the truth, your word is truth. God's word, the Father's word, is Jesus. John says it so in John 1 when he says the, the word became flesh, the word was with God, the word was God. Jesus said it when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So, so he's really saying, I, I'm praying and sanctified so that they would know me, know you, the Father. That they would be able uh, to, to be set apart because of the truth of Jesus and the Father. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I'm not taking them out, I'm sending them in. I sanctify myself for them. I set myself apart for them. In other words, I'm here to do the job of going to the cross, of enduring the sacrifice, being the sacrifice for everyone's sin. I do this for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth, so they have an opportunity to have their sins forgiven and be in a relationship with the Father. He says in verse 20, and this is where it gets fun for us, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. I don't ask for hands because I know some people are here and they're searching and they're checking things out and they're not really sure about this God thing or Jesus thing or if they're in a relationship with Jesus or not, but I know many of you are convinced that you're in a relationship with God. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus said that if you're somebody who responded to the word of the disciples, which all of us have, the word is still here because of the disciples and their ministry and what they did in the early church, and we're here still because of it, then Jesus, watch this, Jesus prayed for you. If there's nothing else you get today, just know that Jesus has had you on his mind. He prayed for you in that moment. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he chose you before the foundation of the world. He has you on his mind. If you're still searching, if you're not sure, if you're still trying to figure it out, Jesus has you on his mind too. And it says he prays not only for them, but also for those who believe. He says, may they all be one. He already prayed for the disciples to be one, like the Father and the Son are one. May they all be one. As you, Father, in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The reason for the unity, the reason for the oneness, the reason for the alignment is so that the rest of the world would know that Jesus is real. He's not just one of many options. He's the only option. He's he's not just the one, another name for the same thing and we can call him whatever we want. That's not how it operates. Jesus is the one and only And he wants the world to know. And this is the crazy part about God through us. There's not a single one of us in here that would choose us to make that message happen. Let me think about who I could get to advertise the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could send angels. I could do miracles. I could light up the sky. I could have a flat screen TV in the entire sky before they ever even invented it. No, I'm going to pick sinful, flawed people who were found by my son and let them tell the story. And Jesus says, I'm praying for them. Verse 22, I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. The glory that's being referred to likely is the excellence of Jesus' character. And the way that he thought and interacted with people and how he did things. It's saying it's available to all of us. And he told the disciples early before this prayer that it was going to be in the person of the Holy Spirit. Dwelling within us. Gives us the opportunity to take on the character of God. And share with people the gospel and back it up with character that says that we have compassion and love and wisdom and righteousness. And we know because we've experienced it and now we want you to experience it too. Jesus says, I'm praying for that. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That means perfectly one, like that that alignment, that unity would be obvious to all, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me, so that we would be a reflection and a message and an affirmation of God's love for all of us in the way that we are with one another, being completely one. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because the Father gave you to the Son And now as a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you to be in his presence. He wants me to be in his presence. What Jesus wants is for us to be in his presence, but he knew that we could not in our current condition. So he says, so they will see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. The reason he was there is because he knew that we could not be in his presence without the forgiveness of sins. We could not get the forgiveness of sins without Jesus doing what he did on the cross. So he's praying that we would be able to be with him, and that all that had been chosen, I love this too, that, we, that because you loved me before the world's foundation, Jesus says. God the Father loved the Son, meaning they've been eternal, and they've loved each other eternally. There was no starting point, it just happened. But what's also interesting is that when Paul tells us that we were chosen before the foundation of the world, that what I read in that is that all of us that have been chosen and become followers of, of Jesus, and those of you who have a chance to do it today, literally can become gifts from the Father to the Son. This is my gift to you, Son. People who love us. And that we can teach to love the way we love each other. Jesus prays for this. Righteous Father, verse 25, the world has not known you, however I have known you. And they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them. And I will continue to make it known. Wait, how is he going to continue to make it known? Through us. Through us who are followers of Jesus Christ, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. This is a powerful prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father before he goes and does the work that he's going to do on the cross. And there's a message that's buried in this that I want to pull out for you that you can hopefully go home with and understand. And and, and I'll tell you why this is so important in just a second, but let me give you the message. The message is this, that as Jesus prayed, here's what he said. Essentially, Jesus wants to make us different so that we can make a difference. That's the prayer that Jesus had. I want them to be different, Father, so that they can make a difference in the world. And not just in the world for today, but in the world for all of eternity. I want them to make an eternal difference that is a life-changing, life-transforming difference in their generation so that literally eternity can be affected and changed and people's lives will be like they've never been before and never could have been if they didn't bring that message. So that tells me what Jesus' purpose is in terms of his church. The reason that he came was to make us different so that we could be a difference. Man, I was like three times where put one amen would have been cool. But the thing is, is I want it to sink. I hope it's because it's soaking in for you that you understand what we're talking about. Because if you don't get this, if we don't understand that, if we don't grab onto this, we'll talk about it more in just a second. Then the re- listen, you're going to be relegated to settling for religion, which makes you feel better, which makes me feel better when we're religious but it doesn't change us and it certainly doesn't change anybody else because it relies on our own power and our own strength. And what Jesus is praying for is we would lean in deeply into the love of God and that we would understand the love that the Son and the Father had for one another, that that we would understand the call for each of us to step out in that love and to allow him to transform us so that we can be beacons of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others around us. And that we do it together, not individually, not one-on-one, not I can do this from my home, I don't need to come to, no, no. That the church would lock arms and lock up and begin to tell the world about Jesus Christ because they see how the people of God are acting. This is going to take two prerequisites that I need you to think through. The first one is our community. Here's what I mean by that. How tight and close are we going to be with one another? Are we going to settle for continuing to argue and to to divide over small issues? Because they really are small. Or are we going to come together? Now listen, I'm not telling you. I'm talking church corporately, not just Sunrise. But I'm going to get to Sunrise. But are we coming together? Or are we like so many political pundits and the race is going and every, and they're just arguing? It's like a bunch of dogs just chewing over one little piece of dirty raw meat that they all trying to get. Or are we going to be people who come out united and give a taste of heaven to, to the world? A different way, a different solution that doesn't rely on your political affiliation or your color of your skin or your education or your bank account or whatever else, but instead relies simply on the fact that God chose me before the foundation of the world and he has given to me his mission to go out and to share the gospel. That takes work. You guys know that. It takes work. Even in a church that has a denominational name, as some churches do, where they supposedly all agree on something, there's still issues. Why? Because the enemy wants to divide us. That's why Jesus prayed that we would be protected from the enemy. Because his goal is division. Because he knows in division, it it isolates people and it keeps them from alignment. Because in alignment, there is power. In unity, there's power. But even in that, there's a second prerequisite that's, even as or more important than the alignment, and that is our urgency. How urgent is it to us? How critical is it to us that we fulfill the call that Jesus gave, that we become the church that Jesus wants us to be? Because it's much easier to do church than be the church. It's, it's much easier to just check a box and make it transactional rather than decide that we're gonna dive in to what Jesus has called us to. And our urgency is critical. It's critical. How much do we really believe that we can make a difference if we let Jesus make us different? How important is it to us? Our families, both our and extended, our coworkers at, 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 at where we work, at our places of employment, our neighbors in our communities, across the globe, Throughout our region and nation, how much can we believe that we can make a difference if we let Jesus make us different? I want you to imagine, as an illustration, a search party. You know, you've all seen the documentaries or a news report, and somebody's missing. And, and, and very often in that community, they'll gather people together and they'll start to search for the person that's missing. Uh, one kid in Ireland went missing and they took a photo of somebody showing his picture with the missing uh, notice on it, and all these people showed up. Notice, they're all standing in a tight group all together. Now, it's not just for the picture, I'm sure, but it's also this is somebody taking this picture to show the power of community. Now, unfortunately, they found the kid, but he was not alive. They found his body. They didn't find him alive because that happens sometimes when we go searching. But there's another story about a a bus uh, of tourists in Iceland, Apparently that's a great place to go, kind of like the Bahamas, but let's go to Iceland. So they go to Iceland, and there's a, a tourist bus filled with people. They, they stop, they get out, they, they do some stuff. As they come back, they start to do a check, and somebody's missing. One of the ladies was missing. And so they start a search party, and they literally go out into the grass, and they start to look for this lady who's missing from this tour bus, And the good news is, the next day, or after—I'm sorry—a few hours of searching, they found the lady. And I think it was the next day there was a newspaper article that came out, and it explained what had happened and where they found her. They found the lady in the search party. (laughs) They're all locked arms. Hey, let's look for you. Who are we looking for? Who are we looking for? Hey, uh, ain't you the one missing? I don't know. We're just looking. Apparently, she had got off the bus when everybody else did. She went and changed her clothes. And she was gone so long, whatever she did while she changed her clothes, that she came back, and by that point, they had done the head count, and they thought she was missing. And because she changed her clothes, nobody knew that it was her. They passed around a description of who they were looking for, and she read the description, didn't recognize that it was her. (laughs) And she joined the search party. And as great as that story is, as I read through it, I thought to myself, that, that, that is the church. You don't know why? Because what you have in the church, watch this, is a group of formerly lost people who God has changed their clothes. He gave them the clothing of righteousness, not their own, but Jesus. The clothing of holiness, not their own, but God's. The clothing of new life. Some of them have been reclothed for so long they wouldn't even recognize themselves from when they first got found by God. So they almost sometimes, some of us, you know this, you don't look at your neighbor because they'll think you mean them and you might. Some of us have been clothed so long we forgot how hard it is to be somebody who's lost. And we start expecting everybody else to wear the same clothes even though they haven't been given new clothes yet. And we forget that we were once lost. But the, pro, the, 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 the fun part is, is that the very people who were formerly lost and have received grace are now joined in a search party looking for, listen, they were found by the search party. And now they join the search party to look for more. Hey, guess what? I'm not the only one lost. Let's go find some more. So now we're locking arms. And when we lock arms as the church, I, we don't care what color of skin it is. We don't care about your political affiliation. We don't care about all that. What we care about is that there are people out there who are lost, and we got to find them. And we got to do whatever we can do to find them. And let me tell you something, that is the greatest why that you could ever adopt in your life for the majority of the rest of your life. I'm sorry, the remainder of your life. The best why you could ever adopt is not a high bank account. It is not success at your job. It is not being an influencer on social media. It's not getting the best grades in school or the best car in the neighborhood or the best house. It is finding lost people for the cause of Christ so that they might experience God's love too. So, so, so let me throw this question at you online here. How bought in are you to this? Because there's three levels of buy-in when it comes to any type of cause. And this isn't just, you know, it could be in business, it could be anywhere. But, but, but when it comes to the gospel, how bought in are you? Because the first level of buying in is just that, you know, I'm, I'm good enough with whatever this is uh, that I can come and benefit from it. Some of us are at that level. Well, listen, they watch my kids for an hour and a half, and then, man, that's a break, and so I'll come and listen, and the cafe's amazing, and I get my, you know, cocoa, cinnamon, pumpkin, spice, whatever, with, you guys, they have that? I don't know. I wasn't over there, but the, the, they have my donut with the sprinkles. It's good, and it's cheaper than the donut shop, so, okay, I'll take that. That's good. I benefit. I benefit because I can come, and people, you know, so I'm coming because of that. Level one. Level two is I'm going to upgrade my commitment because I'm going to actually be okay enough with this organization that I'll give something to it, my time, my talent, my, my money, but only when it's comfortable. So I'll tip when the offering plate comes by or, or I'll, I'll, I'll sign up to, to be a greeter, but man, I'm not, I'm not helping them kids. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go in there with them. You know, I, I don't mind being a greeter, but don't, don't send me to the peace center. I don't want to do that. And the third level is, I believe in this so much that I'm giving my life to it. Everything about me is for this. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the cause of Christ. But the thing about the church is it's where you can can do that the best. See, even when you give your offering, we don't tell you to give to Sunrise. We tell you to give through Sunrise. Because we're not trying to collect your money. We're trying to use everyone's collective resources to reach the world for Christ we're not telling you to come and serve because we have deep needs and it makes us feel better as an organization. We want you to come serve because it's an opportunity for you to give give a chance to someone to receive the gospel, whether it's directly or whether it's you're holding a baby in the nursery and while that baby's crying, mom and dad are safe and sound in the worship center and they're hearing the gospel. And they can do that because they're not stressed about their kid because we, we have a good kids ministry. How bought in are you? Are you bought in enough to take your neighbor who you wish you could cut down every tree in his lot because it keeps coming over your fence and you hate it? It would be great if he had an avocado tree, but he doesn't. He has like a pine needle tree and it just piles up and you just wish you could shave it all down. And when, he, and when you talk to him and then he doesn't want to do it and he's like, I don't care. You know, do do you, just, you just want to wring his neck? Or do you want to pray for him? Because if he came to Christ, he might cut his tree. Because your love and your compassion and your willingness to get in his story, get in his story, is different than what the rest of the people of the world, how they would react. How bought in are you? See, here's my recommendation that we make three declarations today. You know, the Constitution was written at the end of a war that was inspired by a declaration of independence. I think we, ha- we need some declarations today for the people of God. Not for the people of the United States, but maybe it's the people of God. Many of us live in the United States. Some of you may not, but the and most of us probably aren't from the United States, but but, but we live here now. Most of us didn't plan on being in the Middle Empire, but we're here now. We need some declarations because our region needs Jesus, our state needs Jesus, our country needs Jesus, our world needs Jesus, and He can use us. So here's the first one. I think we need a declaration of independence from the world. Uh, we, we need something that says that we're not dependent upon the world. The, the world is not our end goal. This is not what we want above all else. And so in 1 John chapter two, the same writer of the gospel says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And the world, verse 17, with his lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. So it's about doing the will of God. It's not about loving the things of this world. So how about this for a declaration? We, the people of God, will not love the world or the things of the world. But we will do the will of God by investing in things that are eternal. We won't put our investments into, listen, I'm not telling you don't plan a retirement. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying and don't write me emails. But your time and your, even your wealth and your giftedness and all of those things, can we begin to invest them in things that are eternal? Now, you taking care of your family can lead to some eternal implications. So I'm not telling you don't be smart with your money. But I'm saying, why not begin to give in a way that helps others hear the gospel? How about a declaration of dependence on God? Romans 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, because of all that God's given us, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, the worship team will back me up on this. A lot of them are sitting over here. <laughs> so I'm going to look this way. This is the thing. I'm just kidding. Worship is more than music. You guys know this, right? Pastor Page, you know this. Worship is more than music. Music is a reflection of Worship. That we've already done with God. Worship is about offering our bodies as living sacrifice. How do we do that? By we choose what we said, don't love the world. In this case, do not be conformed to the world. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we do it by renewing our minds. God renews our minds. But we open ourselves up to have further renewal of our mind. So that we may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We just heard that the will of God is the, is, is the thing we do to remain forever, to live forever. And now we need wisdom to understand what that will is. So, how about this declaration? We, the people of God, will not be conformed to this age, but we will depend on God to, tra- or to, to live transformed lives of worship by renewing our minds and offering our bodies as living sacrifice. Are you willing to do that? Will you lose sleep for the gospel? Will you give up comforts or your own, your own wishes and desires for the sake of the gospel? Will you defer to others for the sake of the gospel? Here's the third declaration, interdependence on one another. What we need is to depend on one another. We need to be able to interdepend. That means we're giving, you're giving, we're all getting, we're all giving, and we're working together on this. Ephesians chapter 4 says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. That means do everything that you can To keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Use peace to keep unity. Peace, by the way, in the Hebrew mindset would have been uh, everything being right in your relational world. My my relationship with my family, my relationship with my relatives, my relationship with God, my relationship with my community. It's all good. That's peace. And God says we're supposed to be peacemakers. The way you start peace is by bringing people to Jesus and then he begins to give to us, the Hebrew word is shalom. Give us that shalom, that peace where everything's right. Is everything right in your relational world? And are you making every effort to make it right, or are you making every effort to keep it wrong? Holding grudges, not forgiving, I'll get them, I'm not going to get punked, they're going to get it. Or do we come and say, you know what, instead, I'm not going to let God get punked, I'm going to make every effort to keep unity. Here's a declaration, we the people of God will not give room for the enemy to create division but we will make every effort to keep the unity by patiently bearing with one another in humility so that we can live lives worthy of the calling that we have received from Jesus to make the name of the Father known to all. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna talk to two groups of people as we close. I wanna talk to those of you who don't know Jesus yet or you're not sure. And trust me, if you're not sure, you probably don't know him yet. And it's okay. It doesn't matter about how long you've been at church. It doesn't matter how you grew up or didn't grow up. Today's the day that you can come to know Jesus. Something that Jesus said in John 17 and verse 3 in his prayer early, he said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not about how long you live because everybody's going to live forever. It's just whether you live with God or not. Eternal life is not about paradise. I mean, they're going to be a paradise and there's going to be man, it's a new heaven, new earth, and all of that. It's going to be awesome. But true eternal life is actually about your relationship with the creator who made you for a specific purpose. And to enter that relationship, we must be made different. Because we cannot enter it the way we come into this life. Because we have sin. And Jesus even said in chapter 12, right before he left public ministry and went in with the disciples, he said, if you want to gain your life, you've got to be willing to lose it. Because if you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it. Because if you want to keep life the way you live it, you'll lose. But if you're willing to give up the way you live and and, and seek for what God wants you to do, then you'll gain it. And I want to offer that to you this morning. Because some of you sitting here have never done that. You've come to church. You might even pray to prayer but you haven't given your whole life to Jesus yet. And I hope pride doesn't hold you back. I hope today, this morning, as you hear this, as you hear it online, as you hear it in the room, that you're not going to let pride hold you back because I've been to church and I know this and I'm good, I'm good. You are not going to be in a right relationship with the Father simply by the intellectual facts that you know. You're going to be in a relationship with the Father through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that says that I can't do it, I need help, and I reach out to Jesus in desperation and he picks me up. Because he did the work for me that I couldn't do on my own. I want to give you that chance. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes if you want, or you can just have your head bowed. I don't want anybody worried about what other people are seeing or doing. If you're online, you could do the same thing. And I want you to pray this prayer along with me. And it's a prayer that is, again, it's not filled with magic words. The the, the words are, are, are less important than your heart. But this will give you some idea of how you can pray. I want you to pray this. Jesus, today I want to give you my life. I admit that I am a sinner. I place my faith in you. I believe you are God. And that you died on a cross for me. Please forgive me. I commit my life to you. Help me become the person that you want me to be. Help me to be someone who is fully in to go and help even reach others. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer and it's the first time, maybe it's not the first time, but it's the first time you prayed it and you meant it. I'm going to ask you and invite those of you who are out there with heads bowed. Don't worry. I'm not going to call on you. We're not going to embarrass you. But would you raise your hand and let me know so that I could pray for you? If you prayed that prayer today. Thank you. I see some hands. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Thank you, guys. Thank you all in the back. Thank you. Anybody on this? Thank you. Okay. The other side. I see you in the back. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay. I see some more. Thank you, guys. I see you. I'm going to be praying for you, but here's what I want you to do. You can lift your eyes up now. And maybe you didn't want to raise your hand, you're a little embarrassed, whatever. You could still do this. I want you to take your program. And on the front says, We the People. There's a little tear-off on the bottom. I want you to put your name and a contact, a phone number, something. Please write legibly. And check the box that says, I said yes. And somebody from our team is going to follow up with you. Because we want you to get some good next steps. And I told you at the beginning that part of our series is to tell everybody about their next steps. Well, listen. We want you to take those next steps. You could even text the word next to the phone number that's going to show up on the screen, 909-287-91, or 779-281-7797. Sorry, say it right, John. It's up there. It's screenshot. Online. Same thing. You'll get links. You'll get invitations in the chat. Please answer one of those. Let us know. You can also, after you're completely shy. You, don't have to, you can stop by our next step table. They'll be there. I want to encourage you. Listen, if you want to get in community, if you want to start making a difference and you want to be, listen. Get in a group. We're starting groups. That's the single best next step that you could do is get in a group. Get around other people. Share life together. And Rooted is the best place to start. Growth groups are also great, and they're important. And they could be a good step. But the point is, get in there. If you're already in a life group, then talk to your life group about making your life group better. <laughs> but if you're not, get into Rooted. So that we can, because next week we're going to talk about how Jesus did this and why life groups are so important. And, and so bring a friend. Come back. Don't miss any Sundays ever. Okay, that's not realistic, but maybe September. Make an effort, because we're going to find out about we, the people of God, and what it's about. And I can tell you that Jesus wants to make you different so that you can make a difference. And he wants to use you to reach others for Christ. I'm excited for where our church is going, online, at all of our campuses. I'm excited for you, and for us, for me too, but for you, because I believe that there is an awakening ready to happen in our communities. And if we rally together and find that common unity, that togetherness, and we go with urgency. It's already happening at our peace centers. It's already happening in our life groups. It's already happening through Rooted. It's already happening in our kids and our students and our next generation. But if we rally as the people of God, I promise you, not because I promise, but because it's in Jesus' prayer, that we will literally change some worlds. The worlds around us, the worlds in our communities, and possibly even the entire world. And you don't want to miss that. So church, let's rise up. And those of you who made a decision, let us know, please, because you guys are the newest in our family. And I'm excited to have an opportunity to start to work with you so that we can begin together to make a difference. We're going to take communion just a little bit. Don't run out. Some of you like to run out. Don't. Okay? Don't do it. Don't make me say don't punk out. Like don't run out. Clearly, if you have a legitimate need, you got to go. I get it. But listen, a lot of you just trying to beat the traffic, beat whatever, stick around. Give God five more minutes because we're going to have a time of communion, and we're going we're gonna to worship through our giving. We're going to worship through communion, and then we're going to have a time for some response. We want you to be a part of that. It's part of what the family does. Okay? I predict, and you can hold me to it, you'll get the best seat at the restaurant if you wait for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the, your son and his prayer. It is overwhelming to think that he prayed about us, Father. It's, it's overwhelming to think that you thought of us, God. And that you and, and, and Jesus were, were, were working together in a plan to save us. I pray, Father, that each of us would give our lives to you as a result. That we would choose to, to reshape our families, to reshape our other relationships, the way we approach work, our goals in life, everything. Everything. That we reshape it based on wanting to do your will. As Jesus said, he glorified you by completing the work. Father, show us your work and help us complete it as a family, as a people for you. At all of our sites, in both of our languages, maybe more languages and more sites that you want to come. And even throughout all of the the, the country, the church that is yours. May we all be a reflection of your grace in our lives, God. As we continue in worship, I just pray that you would be pleased with what happens. As we give, as we celebrate communion, Father, how weird it is to the world that we would celebrate the death of Jesus, but it's in that death that the sweet opportunity for forgiveness and grace come. And so we want to celebrate that too. And then, Father, even in prayer, praying with each other later and even our discussions afterwards, may you be pleased and honored by your people. May we be in this world but not of it. We ask it in Jesus' great name. Amen.
0: Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening and we hope to see you soon. God bless.